place I'd rather be than where he is. I know he's everywhere. My theology is not confused, but I also know that it says very specifically he inhabits the praises of his people. There's a dwelling place for God the Most High that's created by the words and songs that we, we say and we sing. And uh, it's just beautiful to be able to be here in that place with you guys all this morning. I just love it. I just, it amazes me that just singing about, I mean, you know, historically, Jesus and him being here and salvation and the cross, it all happened over two thousand years ago just let that sink in for just a minute i mean we get impressed if we go digging around in the dirt and find something that's a hundred years old you know it's like wow this is an antique this is from another era much less four or five hundred years old but two thousand i mean think about that some of the cave drawings and stuff we know that they're people get so impressed by stuff that's just a few centuries old and yet we're talking about an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And just the songs that we sing about that event, just the scriptures that we read, the message that we preach called the gospel message that references that event two millennia ago still has the power in it to transform an atmosphere, to transform a human heart, to transform a life that was dead and broken and lonely and hopeless and suddenly give it hope to, to take someone that's sick and to make them well again to take someone who's lost and they suddenly feel and know they've been found just the message about what happened back then still has that kind of power what kind of an event was it what kind of an event was it when God came to this earth that they had to say, you know what, we can't even count time the same anymore. It's so different now, we've got to start a new calendar. That's why it's 2023, or what, I think it's 2023, isn't it? I'm kind of lost right now. I don't really care what year it is, I don't care what's happening right now. In the presence of God, none of that matters. What matters is just the reverberation of what he accomplished then still has the power to change life now. That's a powerful event. I don't know if we have football fans here or not. Let's wing a little bit of this morning, I guess. But you know, you don't have to be at the game when your team's playing, do you? It's nice if you can watch it on TV. That makes it even more meaningful. But what if you can't do that either? What if you can't even watch it live on your phone or listen to it on the radio? What if all you get is after the game's over, you just hear about what happened to your team and your team won? You still connect to the reality that your team won, whether you were there live for it or not. There's still such a reality. When you connect yourself to Christ, when you connect yourself to his body, the church, there's a connection that you make by faith to an event that makes you a part of the winning team. You didn't have to be there. You didn't have to be an eyewitness. You, all you got to do is hear the message about it, and you can still connect to the reality that that event was a winning, victorious event, that sin and death were destroyed at the cross. That the power, the slavery that humankind were under because of what Adam and Eve fell into in the garden, that it was broken forever by what Jesus did. What's my proof? You and me. 
that we can sit here in a room and give up a Sunday morning to sit home and sleep in and be comfortable because we know there's something powerful and precious that we're still coming together just to sample the after aroma of something that's 2,000 years old. What a powerful testimony. When the world tries to make you have all these reasons and answers, just say, just come to church with me. Just experience the reality, the real presence of the living God who's still alive, who still loves you, who still has a purpose for your life, even if you thought you had no purpose for God. An eternal love that doesn't just give up when you do. It's what we're all craving. It's what we all need. It's what we were all destined to find. And thank God you kept looking until he found you or you found him or however your theology explains it. I don't really care. You're here. You're saved. You're born again and you're going to heaven when you die. That's what really matters. And we can get excited about that. I realize I should have saved some voice for preaching and not just blown it all during praise and worship. But if you're going to sing about shout the name of Jesus everywhere, what are you going to do? Just... Uh, have a meditative moment? I can't do that. Sorry. If we're going to sing about shout the name of Jesus, I think you kind of got to shout the name of Jesus. This is, not, this is not a figment of our imagination, folks. The world can say what they want. They can call us as crazy as they know that we, they, they, they are convinced that we're crazy, that we're just delusional, that we have this, we need all this to hold on to because we just can't deal with the reality of, of science and what's real. And they haven't, they haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is the author of science. He's the one who can speak and order comes to chaos. The only time we see it in history, that chaos, just barrenness filled the void, that there was no order to it. And then God spoke and order came. And light began to shine and life began to flourish. Your life is chaotic is because you haven't surrendered to the reality of who God is. He was not just the creator in Genesis. He's the recreator of everything that you need your life to be right now. He's it. He, he the person, Jesus, he's it. He's the only name that we need. Why, why settle for a lesser name when we have access to the highest name that there is? The name above every name has already been given. We don't have to fish around in the... Libraries full of all the philosophical ideas of man for the past few thousand years. We can go straight to the one who created the ability to process information. God, the creator himself, loves you. He has a purpose for your life. He's not confused about you. You might be confused about him. He's not confused about you. You are made in his image. His purpose for you predates your coming to this earth. It was in his heart to even create this reality that we know of as planet earth. And I just, I don't know how to calm down a little bit enough to be able to preach what you might call a Sunday message because it's just when the realization of what's actually happening on this world and you see that it's clearly imploding, it's clearly getting darker and darker until the whole thing burns up and yet we know how this ends for us who believe and we know how it ends for those chosen of God, those chosen people of his that he will protect and preserve us until the day of salvation when we arrive in the place that he's prepared in the heart of the Father for us. And that's a hope that we can, it, maybe in generations where things were just going rosy and everything was just happy, it just seemed like an inconvenience to have to go and find a place to worship and check it off your to-do list on a weekly basis. But when things get dark, man, there's something about the, the, the power and the, the draw and the magnetism of coming to the light so that we can realize there's a, still a purpose for us to be here. There's still a light that needs to be shined. I don't know about you, Christmas is, for some it's the nativity scene, it's the manger, it's the music, some it's the 
everything else. For me, it's the lights, right? I mean, the way people put lights on their homes. To me, Christmas as a kid was always about the lights. It was about the fact that it was dark out. There was no color. The earth was void, and it was just all unraveled. And then God spoke, and he brought such beauty. He brought such beauty into, the, into, into existence. And he gives it to us to look at and to say, you know what? This had to come from somewhere. And for those who have a truly scientific mind, they're going to discover that, oh, order comes because someone put it in order. Snowmen don't fall out of the sky. They happen in your front yard because kids took time to roll some snowflakes together and make a snowman. Nobody says, oh, that just happened by accident. No. When you see something put to order and put to shape, you know someone did it. Not just billions of years. Billions of years doesn't create anything except more chaos and more mess. Leave your home alone for a little while when you come back, even if it's Nobody living in it. The spiders, the mice, there's stuff that's going to find a way to make a mess of it. Mold, there's stuff. Things always move into a place of decay, but the Creator comes to bring order and beauty and love and, and peace. And just the sense of His peace this morning is overwhelming to me. Makes a chest cold and a head cold just seem like laughable. It's like, who cares? It, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, I wish it would go away, and I believe that it will, but... It, the, in the magnitude of what we are going to step into outside of time where there will be no more of the stuff that we have to deal with, the idea that that's what he's prepared for those who love him, those called according to his purpose, man, it just helps you deal with such a higher, much higher level of the irritation and agitation that the people of this world put on us, the life itself, the decay of this planet. You can process it with a joy and with a hope and with a brightness and with a light because the light has come. And now we're the light of the world. And that might, it might be intimidating to you, but Jesus warned us, don't put that under a bushel. Don't let the, don't let, because the world thinks it's not important. It's just a nuisance to them. Don't take the bushel, the basket they're trying to put on you and think, well, this is just my portion. I can have the light, but I better not shine it too much because people are going to get hurt about me or by me. Those days are over. It's time to just let people have it. And it, come on. If it's not this generation that's going to do something and just say, hey, what do we got to lose? The whole thing's going up in flames. You can't see that? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a fatalistic, catastrophic statement. That's a statement of hope and of love, and of, that's the truth. It gives such value to this incorruptible seed that's been placed within us that no matter what happens here, this is what the early church had. They didn't care what you did to them. Cut them in half or crucify them upside down or boil them in oil. They didn't care what you did to them because they knew where they were going. And they actually believed it and they lived that way. Folks, I just hope that you're, you're encouraged by the goodness of Jesus to us, that he didn't leave us here hopeless. The greatest pain that I see is when I see people that are hopeless and they don't have to be. It's just they've put their hope in such rubbish and such a broken system that's designed to break people. And they think that their hope is going to come when they evolve into some new kind of a species that's never even been before. Folks, you're created already with enough intent in God's heart that if you just find that and let him show that to you, your life will be complete. You don't have to live up to your parents' expectations. You don't have to live up to your spouse's expectations. You don't have to have to live up to your pastor's expectations. There's only one person that knows what you are created to be. I'm talking to somebody this morning, I know that. You better forget 
what your social network is telling, me, telling you that you're supposed to be. You better tune that garbage out. You won't find it there. You just find yourself more broken, more used, more abused, more taken advantage of. You better find the one that created you and called you and gave you a purpose for this world. You better listen to what he has to say about you because he's not disappointed with you. He loves you. He sent Jesus because he was pained over the condition that this world had broken you into. That's why he came. He says he so loved this world that he gave his only son. Not to condemn the world. The world was condemned already, but that through him and through trusting in him that you would be saved, that the world could be saved, that redemption could come. I don't know how to say these things without emotion because I know the sense of lostness that you can have when you have everything around you and everyone seems to get it and you don't. He knows how to break that wall down too. Just go before him. Get alone. I don't think much... I'm less and less impressed with stuff that happens in big, great meanings. I'm for them, and I've been touched in some of them. The stuff that God changes deep in your heart will usually come when you just get to a place you say, Jesus, I just need to know. I need to meet you. I need to hear you. I need to feel that you're close to me, that you care. I want that for you. I want that for every single person. I want that for my family. I want that for my relatives. I want that for people that I don't even, maybe will just hear my voice on the internet someplace. I don't know. Just know that when you hear from him and he shows you what he made you to be and how he's already created and put within you all that you're going to need for this life, you're not going to be hopeless. You're not going to be depressed for sure. He's good. His plans are good. They're not to harm you. They're to give you a hope and a future to fill you with everything that you feel is missing. It's already there. He's got to just show it to you and you've got to follow in those footsteps. Ah, I'm going to need tissue. There they are. You want to mute me for a second or want me to do it? Thank you, Jesus. Nothing like looking at a tablet screen full of notes and it's all just blurry and I do need glasses, but that's not why. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Has he ministered to anybody's heart this morning? I know he's certainly ministering to mine and it's just kind of coming out that way. Well, there, here is a scripture. Some of this stuff, I don't know where it comes from, and then I realized, oh, well, I did read that scripture, and I decided to put it in my notes, so that's probably part of why that's just fresh in my spirit. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message about Jesus Christ. Like we said, the message of Jesus Christ, in it, the power of God for someone to believe, for everyone who believes. The only qualifier there is that you believe. It doesn't matter. Gender's not important. Nationality's not important. Nothing matters. Everyone who believes, the power to, to be saved is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that it's first for the Jews. 
People really struggle with this. You're seeing it all over, the, all over the planet, even in America, some of the major cities in America. You see that people don't understand. The Jews are God's people. They don't understand what the book discloses to us. God chose them. He chose Jacob. I spoke two weeks ago about that. If you didn't hear that message, um, go ahead and listen to it. He chose to form a nation called Israel out of a man called Jacob, who he changed his name to Israel. That's where anyone that's called an Israelite, a Jew, comes from this man, Jacob, named changed to Israel. God chose them out of all the people of the world that he would make a mighty nation, a people chosen for himself. And through that people group, he would birth Messiah who would come and save not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and everyone outside of the Jews too. And so you need to understand this. When you're not sure what to believe about Israel and the Jews, you better get your your understanding of what matters, because if you curse the Jews, you will be cursed. If you bless the Jews, you'll be blessed. We heard in class this morning about the blessing that came to Laban just because Jacob was there working with him, and he realized, he's like, my, my whole reality, my farm is just being blessed from this God that he didn't know, and he knew it was because Jacob was there with him. God's blessing on our lives as believers is not just for us. It, it, it infects the people around us. It affects their lives. And so it says the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it's been written. The just shall live by faith. Your salvation hinges on one thing from your point of view, whether or not you believe the message preached. Did you know that? You're saved by grace through faith. If you don't believe it, the grace will not apply to you. It will not transform you. It won't, it won't be what it was intended to be. It'll just be a box wrapped up on the shelf, and it'll be there, and you'll have it close to you, but you won't have the contents until you believe that it's worth opening and it's worth receiving. Don't confuse what I said. Jesus did it all. He paid it all. He did all the work. He did all the heavy lifting. It's there. Will you receive it? Do you ever give someone a gift and they're like, eh? I'm not sure about you, maybe. Maybe it's a good decision. Just don't open it. But it hurts because you knew it was good. It was well-intended. But for whatever reason, this is how salvation is. You still have to believe it. You've got to receive what, what has been given. There's nothing deficient in what Jesus did, but do you believe it? And if you do, then you can live by that faith. I want to just... It'll be a bit of an omelet. It already is an omelet this morning. That's okay. It's still morning. It's still breakfast time. John 12, verse 9 through 11. I'm hoping this encourages some people who are maybe just confused about how things seem to be hard and how things are difficult for us. I don't know about you, but there's something about praise and worship and coming together and hearing all of you guys' voices, lift, hearing the, the men and the women and then the children, hearing all that. It build, I need that. I need that encouragement. I, I wish I could say, oh, I've got it all. I don't. No, I need that. That builds my faith. I feel stronger in that. And this is part of why. It says in John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11, there's opposition. Does everybody know that? Lazarus, was he dead three days or four days? Three days. Four days. Fourth day. Lazarus, friend of Jesus. Jesus is away. He gets sick. He can't get there in time. He dies, and they put him in. They bury, he's wrapped up, and he's in the tomb. And Jesus comes, and he raises him from the dead. And it, it so blew everyone's mind. Like, who is this person that can, can speak to a dead person? They come out, and then he doesn't even smell like death. It, it, that, that one moment, because it was so 
staged in a sense, the way Jesus delayed and he gets there and they said, oh, should we really take the stone away? He's going to stink by now. And he lifts up his voice to heaven. He says, thank you, Father, that, you know, for their sake that they're going to see this. And he makes this big spectacle and sure enough, Lazarus come out and they go in and here he comes out and they say, okay, now take the, unwrap him because he still is wrapped up in all the, the wrappings. And here's a living person underneath after being dead in a tomb for four days. And it just so blew their mind. But listen to what happens. The, the, This is one of the texts that will help you understand we are in a struggle of good versus evil. There's no other way to frame it. It's not an opinion-based thing. It's not, oh, well, if you believed a little bit more this way, it wouldn't be so agitating, so you'd be more tolerable, therefore we could accept you. That's not it. It's good that wants life to come and blessing to come, and it's evil that wants death to come and destruction to come and pain in the process for your life. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy But Jesus comes to bring life and to have it abundantly. There's two sides to this coin. There's two sides to life. There's light and dark. There's good and evil. There's truth and lies. Things need to be split down the middle again. And there's no other way to do it if you really want to have clarity in your life. And so this this, this helps me so much in this passage. Because there's opposition. There's supposed to be. The most amazing thing. How can, if you framed it in your mind, you'd think, oh, well, if we could just go over to the cemetery, pick a gravestone, and just gather around and pray, okay, dig that, dig that guy up, and he would come out, and all of a sudden, there's a living person. You'd think the whole world would just say, okay, we believe. You'd think that. If you could televise it right, if you could really make the moment count, if you could show everybody, like, this is the power that Jesus has, you'd think that that would be enough. Shouldn't that be enough? I mean, that's power over death. What other power are you going to demonstrate? That's more than growing an arm back. It's more, than a, it's more than any other miracle you can create. No, he's fully dead, decaying, and now he's alive again. But within that same group of people, that, that some that saw this event, look at, look at what happens because there's this constant battle in the minds for humanity. The devil knows that if we believe, we go, we're saved and we're redeemed. If we don't believe, then we continue on the path to condemnation that we were already on. He knows that. And so no matter what victory happens in your life, no matter how good something, no matter how strong and sure you are, if this would just happen, then I would believe. I promise you it won't be enough for you. And this is one of the scriptures that helps to show you that. It says, now a great many of the, in verse 9, John 12, verse 9, says, now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there. He's back in the area where Lazarus was from. This is well after the miracle. And he says, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, they weren't coming to see Jesus to learn more about this guy that has this power to raise, him from, raise people from the dead. The religious, the, the evil opposition to Jesus' ministry of salvation by grace through faith and redemption through the sacrifice he would provide was so hated by the enemy of the cross, the enemy of of all that is good, the evil side of this battle that we're in was so hard against it that when they, Jesus does this thing and they're like, we got to kill this guy. We're going to kill this guy. He has the power to take dead people and make them live again. How insane is that? Why wouldn't you say, that's amazing. We've got to take care of this guy. What if I get sick and die? He can bring me back too. Isn't that what you would think people would think like? And they would accept that there's a prince and power of the air that is... His sole purpose is to confuse people and to turn them against the life giver. And he wants to turn. He wants to call good evil and he wants to call evil good. That's happening from the Old Testament all the way through to the present. That's the mark 
of the good versus evil that we're into. And sadly, media outlets now have the ability to touch so many sets of ears and eyes so quickly that public opinion sways in the breeze like a, like a flag on a windy day. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. It's just the sea of humanity is so churned up right now, and they're, they don't realize that they are literally at the, they're at the bidding of the evil one to do whatever he points for them to do. And they don't realize it. It says they came not just because Jesus was there, but they also wanted to see Lazarus. Now, many of them had already seen him come back to life. They knew the story. There was no disputing it. Listen to what it says. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Did you hear, did you hear what I just read? If you don't think that's evil, if that's not proof of evil in this world. There it is. Not just did they come because they wanted to take out Jesus, the life giver. They wanted to take out the life receiver. Have you received the life of Christ? You're targeted. We see what's, do you see the target that's been painted on the Jewish people, no matter what part of the world they run? You see the target that's painted on anything that God loves and God calls his own. Because evil hates what's God's. The enemy seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is the reality. There's no nice way to say it. And at some point, as believers, as the light, you've got to take a stand on the side that says, no, 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 we're going to stand for light, whatever the cost is. That's just what it's going to be. And we're not going to compromise on this idea that it's just all up for debate. It's all up for discussion. God didn't put it up for discussion. He said, these are mine. Don't touch them. That's, that's what he said. And he comes and he, he brings Messiah to them, and they reject him. You'd think that would have just made him say, you know what, fine, I'm done dealing with you. No, he still promised, and his promises don't go away. It might take 1,930-some years or whatever for a nation to be reborn back in the original soil where Jesus, where, where God said, this land belongs to you, Abraham. This belongs to your descendants forever, ever. I'll make a mighty nation. All of a sudden, 1,000 years can go by, and all of a sudden, his promise is still being fulfilled. He doesn't change his mind. He's not fickle about what he says. If he says that he loves you, he loves you. He's not manic. He's not like, you know, we are like pulling petals off a flower. Loves me, loves me not, loves me. Oh, I guess she loves me. No, he's not like that. He's deeply committed to the purposes that he's intended for our lives. And he's not just, he's not, he's not wavering based on our waveringness. And I want to get that through to somebody this morning. Just stop making it about you and start making it about him. Start making it about his unfailing commitment to you, his love for you, his promise to, to bring you through to the other side. But that's an incredible reality. Don't miss it. They didn't just want to come and kill Jesus. They wanted to kill everyone that he gave life to and the ones who believed in him because of the one that he gave life to. They want to kill poor Lazarus. He's already dead once. The poor guy. How many times you got to kill this guy? That's evil. That's a people group so confused by the enemy working through their minds through just all that he works through that they couldn't see the goodness that was right in front of their face, the Messiah that had come for them. It even led Jesus to tears at some point. He actually weeps during the story of Lazarus, not because Lazarus died, because they, he just couldn't convince them that I'm all that you need. I have the power for all these things. Just worship me and follow me, and I'm going to lead you into life. But I want to just mention a couple of things because I... It's been a couple thousand years, so we, we forget. We for, I forget stuff that happened earlier in the day sometimes. How much more can we forget stuff? Maybe that's what this morning is. It's just a, re, it's a remembering of what happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe that's because this is all stuff I put down. I didn't have it sewn together or processed or broken down, but 
The reality of time is so critical to our, our faith. There's the past, there's the present, there's the future. As Master Ugwe from Kung Fu Panda, we was stuck in the car for 12 hours, two different directions with my two boys, and so we, we about played that seat. I think it was skipping by the end, the DVD. Not from getting scratched, just from being played too much. But he says this, he says, yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. That'd be a good thing. I'm going to save that for Christmas Eve, maybe. Huh? I used it too soon. That's the problem when you don't, like, compartmentalize things. Yesterday's history. You can't change history. It's happened. Tomorrow, yeah, you have, the things you do now affect the future, but it's still mysterious. It's like, is it even going to come? He said we don't know the day or the hour. We can have a 10-day forecast on our, on our weather app, and we only get eight days out of that thing because the last two, Jesus comes back by then. We don't, the future's a mystery. We don't know all the details as much as we would love to think we do. But what we have is right now, we have today. It's a gift. Will we believe today? Because your belief today is going to change what happens in the future. It's going it's to settle some of the mystery that happens if you're not in a place of faith today. Time is so important, and so I just want to... Emphasize this idea, forgetting is something that is not, it's not okay. I've noticed it with my kids, it bugs me. If you're a parent and you give your kids something to do and they come back, you're like, how come, oh, I forgot, it's not done yet. How come it's not done yet? Oh, I forgot. And in their minds, isn't it like, that's a good enough reason? You guys listening? Not a good enough reason as a parent. We tell them again. Oh, I forgot. Because in their minds, that's li- oh, if I don't remember, how can I be responsible to do it? I forgot it. Faith has so much to do with remembering. When I, I'm going to have time to go through a lot of the verses that I cut out of, of the epistle of Peter, 2 Peter specifically. It's got so much about reminding. We'll, we'll read at least the first bit of 2 Peter in chapter 1. But it's on us to remember. And you read in Revelations the, some of the challenges that Jesus was given to Apostle John to bring to the churches. It was, you, you've lost some things. You're doing this, but where's the joy? You lost your first love. The, the, the joy is gone. The, the, the things that you had are now missing. You forgot about these things. The, the, the scripture is full of so many places where uh, you know, we can forget. But you can forget in the past, you can forget in the present, and you can forget in the future. And so it's important that Psalm 90 is very clear about this. It says, teach us to number our days so we can gain a heart of wisdom. If you don't measure your time and you don't take authority over your time, past, present, and future, if you don't manage that, you're going to forget some things that are really important. I don't know how many times in the moment, in the present even, sometimes you forget things. I don't, it's probably just me. Maybe there's somebody else that does it too. You walk into the room, kitchen, you walk, living room from the kitchen or whatever. You go into the bathroom and you're like, or the garage, right? You have to stand there for a minute. You're like, what did I come in here for again? You go to the store. You get the shopping cart, and you're like, I should have made a list. Because you know, then it usually comes to you, hopefully. But there's that minute where you can forget in the moment what you're doing in the moment. How much easier can we forget some of the stuff that's so incredibly important to who we are and what makes us believers in Jesus Christ? We've got to manage this idea that we live on a timeline. We live in the present. That's the gift. But we have a, we have a past that we're responsible to manage. 
The historical reality of your testimony. That's why your testimony has so much power. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the recapping of the story of how you came to life from darkness. You found the light. Jesus saved you. You were redeemed. That's why the power of the testimony overcomes the evil one. The word, talking about it, we can't forget these things. It says, you know, the Bible's clear. We, should, we, we must not forget all his benefits. Peter uses a phrase, and we'll just read it. Let's just, let's just get to Peter Stay on track better if I'm in the scripture. At least that way you can stay in a row. Your thoughts kind of come into like a funnel, I guess. But we can't, there's certain things. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, we can just start there. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He's not asking you to memorize all things in Sunday school. I remember doing that in Sunday school. The point is these are all good qualities that you need to have. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these things will begin to build and grow in your life. And to, to all these things, the brotherly kind of add love. For if these things are yours and they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Begin to let his fruit and his life live inside of you, and you'll get to know him by just the life that you're living will somehow, it'll, it'll emulate his, his life in you, gives you the proof that he's real and that he's alive because he's living in you and your life is changing. That's the power of your testimony. Just look, look what's changing, look what's happening. Verse 9, though, it says this, for, as, for he who doesn't have these things, it doesn't say he's evil, he's a sinner. He who doesn't have these things is just lazy. He doesn't, he doesn't work hard enough. He says, for whoever does not have these good things, your fault is that you're short-sighted. But then he explains what short-sighted means. He's not talking about short-sighted in front of you. He says he's short-sighted even to blindness. Like, you might as well just be walking around with, a, with blindfolds on because you can't see where you're going. That's why you don't have these things. It says, he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. It doesn't say that you weren't cleansed from your old sins. You could have had a moment where you were cleansed, where things were made right, where your life was restored. It says, but you can forget about it. How can you forget about it? Because there's someone there to steal the, the memory of it. Because there's someone, there's birds of the air that come to snatch away the seeds that were sown even into good soil. It's a battle. It's going to always be a battle. It's not automatic. You don't get it just by coming to church. You might get a deposit, but if you go out and it just all dissipates, we have to take response. You have to remember. you got to go back, take notes. That's why notes are important. That's why re-watching a message is important. Rereading a scripture is important. Sometimes the second and third time through, it really sinks in and you have it for the rest of your life. Memory is critical. Forgetting is not excusable in God's understanding. He says you can literally live a life that's without fruit and without a future because you just forgot that you were cleansed. Imagine that. Oh, what did what, what was wrong? He just forgot. He just forgot. It's not a little thing. Your life can be 180 degrees opposite from what it is just because you forget. I mean, try it with your car. Forget your car keys. You walk outside, you have all the intention. You can have all your gear with you. If you don't have your keys, you're not going anywhere. You forgot your keys. You got to go back and get them. You, we got to go back for some of the stuff that we forgot. Peter's book here is so much about reminding. He goes into so much about just reminding the people. In verse 12, 2 Peter, same chapter, in verse 12, he says, For this reason, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things. Somehow in his early 
just a little bit of life he had there after Jesus' ministry, he was realizing what's really wrong, why people aren't, some people aren't getting it, is that they need to be reminded. They need to be reminded. They're just forgetting, like, your, like kids do. They get busy with other stuff. It's, they're not some evil kid because they didn't do the chore. It's like, no, they just forgot. But if we're going to walk a walk of faith that's going to honor God and please him and change and bring light to the world, we can't forget certain things. They're so critical to the reality of these things expressed in our life. It says, for this reason, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. He's like, presently, now, I know you get it, but I'm still going to remind you even then. Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent. In other words, he's still alive. He's in his body to stir you up by preaching a brand new message that you've never heard, some great revelation that you've never heard before. No. He said, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you. I'm going to tell you again what you already know. Every Sunday when I come here and I worship, it's a constant reminder, like, oh, that's how good it is when we all sing together and we all worship together and we experience his presence in us because he's filling this place, this place with, the, with his presence because the words and the sounds that we're making together. It's like it's, like it's happening for the first time every week because I, you get through the week and you can easily lose the sharpness of the memory of just how good that it is. But he says, I'm going to stir you up. Even though you have it presently, I think it's right that I'm going to continue to remind you. And in verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He's like, not only am I going to keep telling you, I'm going to write them down. So even when I'm dead and gone, they're going to still read them to you. And I just read that, and it's 2000, about 2,000 years old. Folks, sometimes all we really need is just is get in front of the mirror, get alone, close your eyes, whatever works for you. If the mirror is distracting to you, then don't use the mirror. But zone everything out and just can start to remind yourself of something good. Remind yourself of how good it was when you first met your spouse. Remind yourself how good it was when you first laid eyes on your newborn baby that now might be sure or a challenge or a massive pain in your heart even. Go back and remind yourself of the good. Remind yourself of those moments that he gave to you that were precious, that were pure, that were beautiful. And you'll be amazed how faith begins to grow, how some of these things that we might not have if we forget, suddenly these, these, these good attributes begin to just bubble on the inside of who you are. Because this world is designed to do one thing, it's to remind you of how bad it is. If you don't see that, I am very sorry for you. What's wrong with things sells. What's good about things, people don't even talk about. Because the owner of the wavelengths out there now is called the prince and power of the darkness that's in this age. And he's only going to give us the junk to think about. Not the things that are pure and lovely and of a good report. Those don't sell advertisements. The disasters do. Make sure that after I'm gone, you're still going to have a reminder of these things. Close with 2 Peter chapter 3, just two chapters forward. Because not only can we can forget in the moment, and we can forget the history that we've been cleansed from our sins, but we can forget the future too. And he says in Verse 1, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder 
Read through the book of the epistles of Peter just looking for the words reminder and realize he had a revelation about this. He had a revelation. A successful business owner, a successful CEO, you walk through their halls, everything's a reminder. Everything. Whether it's about something positive or something that needs to get done or there's timers, everything. We are human beings and we need to be reminded. I wish we didn't need it. We seems like, it seems like we shouldn't need it. But what's the Holy Spirit? Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to come to do what? To remind us of the words that Jesus spoke. He said that to his disciples that they were going to forget. Holy Spirit's one of his main missions in life is just to remind us of how good Jesus is that 2,000 years later, we still sing a song, we say the name, and all of a sudden stuff breaks in our lives. It's okay to be reminded. It's okay to forget sometimes, but just quickly remind yourself. Peter had to do it, and he says, I'm going to stir you up your pure minds by way of reminding you that you may be mindful of the words which were already spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing that this, this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. What are scoffers? People that just make fun of stuff. It's easy to point out the mistakes. It's easy to make fun of the stuff that's like, oh, they think they're this, but look at that. They just joke. They, 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 they demeaningly scoff at what is good. And Peter's saying, don't be confused when they come. He said, they will come in the last days, but they're going to walk according to their own lusts, and they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? They're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Have you heard that? That's a popular thing. Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, the second coming. What they're asked, what they're saying is, did God really say Anybody remember where that was first used in Scripture? Did God really say, don't eat of this tree? He said in the last days, scoffers, a generation will arise on the earth, and they're going to say, did he really say he's coming back? Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what they're going to say. And they're going to say, well, eat. Drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's all just of no meaning. We can just not believe. It doesn't make any difference. These crazy people that still believe that he's coming back, let's just eventually put them out of the way, but for now we'll just deal with them. Verse 5 is very powerful. It says, for this they willfully forget. Now, it's one thing to forget by accident. The darkness that comes upon a people who willfully, in other words, they choose, to forget. Choose to forget God. Read some of the teaching instruments that were used, doctrines and the philosophies that were introduced in America in the anywhere from the 40s on forward. They began to creep in humanistic philosophies that eliminated God from being necessary. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing up out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, he's like, don't look at the world if you want to see something hopeful. That's clearly 
about to burn up. But then he speaks back to his believers. He says, now consider this. Verse 8, he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. Now, when someone who's just written two epistles, he's in the third chapter of the second one, he says, there's one thing I don't want you to forget. I think we ought to pay attention to what it is. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is just a day. Why do you think the gospel still has so much power in it? not even 48 hours old yet by God's count not even two days old barely two days old only 2,000 years old God exists outside of time (laughs) it's not been a long arduous wait for him for us to finally figure out that we need him and preach the gospel to all creatures so he can come again it's just been it's busy Monday and a busy Tuesday. He's in the Tuesday evening somewhere by now. He's not even happy. He's not even a hump day yet. He's not even midway through his week yet. You think it's just metaphorical? Or you think Peter finally got a hold of something? He said, of everything I want to remind you of, don't forget this one. This is where people give up their hope on a healing, or on a loved one, as we heard from our sister this morning, Shannon. Appreciate you sharing that. 15 years, mom and dad on their knees believing that that stuff was going to break off of your life. And then in a moment it does. Well, in, in process, but compared to 15 years, it was a moment. These are things we can't forget. For God, that wasn't even a lunch break. That was, he, he answered your prayer the first time that they prayed. It just in our time, 15 years, probably felt like a long time for a mom and dad watching their daughter struggle. Peter said, don't forget this. A day is a thousand years. A thousand years is that. God does not mark time like we do. Verse 9, he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some would want to count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us. Why? Because he's not desiring or willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If there seems to be a delay, some of the things that we're believing for change to happen in, whether it's in our own lives or the lives of people that we're interceding, praying for, don't ever question. Don't let the voice of the culture that's constantly questioning, did God really say, don't let it settle into us where we begin to say, did God really say that I'm going to be whole, that my family will be restored, that the lost will be found, that the broken will be made well and whole again? Let's just stand together this morning. There's some messages that I preach to you all, and there's some messages that I preach to myself, and you all just get the benefit of listening to them. That message was for me. Jesus, this morning we just
we're just we're aware of how great your name is and and how much we require we desperately need the power that we find in that name that the power of the gospel message is not just for distant lands far away but it's for the lives and the hearts of of those who've been found by you and yet need to see that power manifested in their own lives and in the lives of their loved ones. Lord, I thank you that you have shown throughout Scripture time and time again that you are not slack concerning your promises, although some would count it as slackness, but they're just counting by the wrong time scale. They're not counting by an eternal word. They're just counting by the word of humans and what people think and what people might say. Lord Jesus, we know that in comparison to eternity, this life is always shown to us that it's just a vapor. It's revealed in your prophets and to the psalmist that it's just a, it's a vapor, it's a flash. It comes and it goes. And Lord, we desire to be those who would number our days, that we would mark the time that you have given to us, Lord, the, the increments of it that we would find productivity in it, Lord, that we would find usefulness, that we would find benefit to be able to bless other people with the time that we've been given. But Lord, in the busyness and in the work of it, that we would never lose sight of just how short it is and how beautiful this promise of a life that's no longer marked by time, that eternal life is simply a life that's no longer marked by time. It just is. It just is. Father, we thank you that you have drawn a group of people in this dark valley, in the dark world that we find ourselves in. Just Though darkness is like a canvas that just sort of settles on hearts, Lord, that in the midst of it, you have produced a light that is your light, the light of life, and that whoever has you has that light, that you are the light of life. You are the light of men and women who know you and have found that you are the light of this world. And Lord, now that we could be the light to this world, it's just, it's such an honor, it's such a gift. But Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen those who maybe just feel like, what difference does it make if it's just me? What, what if you're the only one in your family and you're just feeling like it's, it's not, just be encouraged today. God's not marking time the way that you are. He sees an end goal and he's going to get there. And he's going to use you in your life. Let hope be restored. Let confidence be re rekindled in the hearts of those who maybe are discouraged. Let courage come back into those who maybe are feeling discouraged. God, we thank you that you are not a man, that you would lie, but you have promised to put your word and what you say and what you promise even above your own name. And we know that name's the highest one that there is. So God, we're confident if you said it, we believe it. We just wait and to see it in the time that you've given to us. So Lord, I pray right now that there would be a peace, that we could go out of this place, Lord, with a peace and a confidence. Lord, as, as we could easily be just drawn down by the pressure of this life, but the light that's in us doesn't shine based on how loud we are or how bubbly of a personality we have. It shines based on the genuineness of conviction, knowing that you are alive in us. That this world can't take what you've placed there. And you can't snatch us from your hand. 
Lord, we take confidence and we walk out boldly with a peace knowing you're going with us. You're in us and through us and you are behind us. Your glory goes behind us. Your light's the way in front of us. So Jesus, even in the darkness, we're just so thankful that you chose us in this day to declare a message that's 2,000 plus years old. For your glory, God, you would show us the way through in every way, in every circumstance, for your glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Folks, perhaps there's some of you this morning that you just like a moment of prayer up here at the front. We have a quiet time where you can come for prayer. Why don't you come on up and let someone minister to you. God bless you. Be a blessing. Have an awesome week.